0: The Urban Broadcast Collective brings together the best podcasts on cities and urban life. Subscribe to us on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Fabulous to welcome back Urban Squeeze for another year, Jason Byrne talking about immigration and how that affects uh, affects cities uh, and their growth and development and that kind of thing and kind of topical because we're seeing some countries want to place restrictions on certain types of immigrant for whatever reason um so topical from a number of points of view but before we get to that into the nuts and bolts of it i, have, I you've got to be careful when you ask questions sometimes and i thought it was a fairly innocuous one How was your Christmas, Jason? I asked, and you said
1: I landed up in hospital. (laughs) (laughs) You went why? And and I said from some extreme gardening.
0: Extreme gardening. What happened?
1: Yeah, uh, nicked my arm on a um, on a branch or something like that when I was gardening, and landed up with a big infection in my arm and in hospital on a drip and all that kind of stuff, oh, which no, made me think about human-environment relations, right, and <laughs> how we interact with other organisms in the city and that kind of
0: stuff. Be careful how much green space you wish for, perhaps, yeah, I don't know. Certainly
1: not in your arm. in <laughs>
0: your arm, exactly. Well, have you recovered fully? I have. Excellent. Yeah. Good. Good to have you back for for another year. Uh, School of Environment is where Jason Byrne is from. And today we wanted to discuss the role of immigration in, in shaping uh, Australia's urban and regional. Centres. We can talk about it in the context of the Gold Coast, or talk about it broadly, uh, whichever way you want, really, Jason. Where, where where to begin?
1: Yeah, well, maybe let's begin with what prompted me to think about this topic mm. this week, and that's the news coming out of the US, like you said, with certain people talking about putting up walls and getting mm. other countries to pay for them, and it kind of takes us back to episode one of the Urban Squeeze last year when we were talking about population growth, right? Mm. And at one point, Trump was talking about maybe even requiring Australian residents to uh, to get a visa and have an interview and all this kind of stuff to visit the US. And I started thinking, well, what role do immigrants play in cities? Let's, let's talk about that. It's a really good place to start. Um, we're an immigrant nation, right? We're one of the big four in the world in terms of our immigrant population. Um, you talk to your neighbour or your friend or people down the road, you, you'll find someone who's got a, a recent immigrant background. Uh, and these immigrants contribute to Australia in a really vital way, and yet much of the public debates kind of become a bit toxic, so Mm, I thought it would be a really good place to begin to talk about all the great things that immigration brings to Australia.
0: Give us a list.
1: Yeah, well there's a few. Um, (laughs) So we can start with the obvious one, the kind of uh, cosmopolitan vibrancy of cities. When people talk about multiculturalism and immigration, oftentimes the first thing they think about is food. Right, we, we think with our stomachs with immigration. So oh, oh, I'm putting up my hand here. Right, yes. I can yeah, go down the road enough. and get some Indian food or R- just around the corner is a great Lebanese cafe. Backlava, you know, yeah, right. we like it, yeah. Uh, and certainly that's one of the huge benefits. Australia transformed, and you would have seen this. And I, I saw this as I was growing up. Australia transformed quite radically from the... Um, 60s and 70s into the kind of culture we have today where we enjoy our really great coffee and we take it for granted but that came from predominantly southern european immigrant groups who bought their coffee culture to australia right mm. before then you look back at the photos at the gold coast or other centers and you can see quite uptight little cafes with drip coffee or something on the menu right nothing very flash compared to today so yes food fashion um A cosmopolitan vibrancy, better services. Immigrants often uh, start up businesses, and so we land up with a lot of small businesses providing services we might not have had before. Uh, Breakthroughs and new ideas. If you look to Australia's um, great immigrants, we've got architects, brain surgeons, heart surgeons, artists, composers, sports people, the list goes on and on, right? We Mm. wouldn't be the great nation that we are without immigrants. Um, And then... Better cities as well. If we look at our cities, we can see an immigrant footprint right across the urban fabric, and that may be through different design ideas, new ideas about way to build buildings, or better ideas about how to integrate housing and public transport, for example. So there's, there's a pretty decent list of benefits.
0: Yeah, I think we're only just scratching the surface there too. Jason Byrne from Griffith Uni, Urban Squeeze on Drive this afternoon. Uh, People do often ponder, uh, dare I say worry, about enclaves popping up in cities. There's the southwest of Sydney, uh, for instance, Cabramatta, big Vietnamese population, where there isn't seen to be uh, an obvious way for a kind of is osmotic the word for an osmosis a cultural osmosis to take place where people can integrate uh in a in a kind of natural organic way it sort of kind of creates an us and them is that a kind of downside or is there a movement away from that in terms of the way cities are designed and planned now
1: yeah great question matt so we can actually trace some of these ideas these are not new ideas right we can chase trace, trace them all the way back to shakespeare and we look at some of the shakespearean plays and concerns then about mm. what we might call ghettos right this idea of the ghetto um and that was an idea of containment uh, back in those days predominantly around containing jewish people in in those cities um The ghetto certainly is large in the planning imaginary in Australia. Um, The post-war reconstruction and rebuilding of Australian cities and the Great Expansion had this idea of, oh, we must must prevent ghettos. But when you go to cities like Los Angeles or San Francisco or London and and other cities, you'll find large concentrations of immigrant groups. And oftentimes that's there because there are very positive benefits for those groups. They can get access to banking or medical services or... um, or doctors or lawyers or, or these kinds of services in their own language and from people who come from their own their own countries, their own mm. cultural backgrounds. And that's a positive thing, not a negative thing. Um when we think of Sunnybank, for example, in Brisbane. Um, oftentimes the ideas we have are positive. It's where you go for a really good feed of Asian food and great Asian fruit and vegetables. Um, And then the people who are visiting Sunnybank may even be some of the, we call them diaspora, people from those communities who are maybe far flung in other places and want to go and get access to those services. So so not a bad thing.
0: Is this why um, the Chinatown idea... Uh, is often thrown up, well, it has been here on the Gold Coast, for instance, up towards Southport there, is that uh, uh, the positive elements of, of having a specific cultural centre, that's why we do it.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting case too, because many Chinatowns in Australia are invented. Yes. Uh, they're not like the Chinatowns that you might have found in, uh, say, California and places like San Francisco that kind of grew organically. We kind of we even have bills, like the, the Chinatown in Brisbane was established through a an act of parliament, it has a bill for the creation of Chinatown. Is right? that right? Yeah. <laughs> and they're, they're kind of artificial and soulless for many people who visit them. They're a bit more touristy. Whereas I think if you point towards the uh, the kind of authentic enclaves like Sunnybank, that's where you'll find the real vibrancy and the, the real mm. services that are occurring.
0: I, I remember for well, Melbourne's well-known as a multicultural centre. And living down there, you'd go out, uh, I think it's... Um, Bridge, Bridge Road, Bridge, anyway, through Richmond. And there was just a string of Vietnamese restaurants in one specific section. You could pick it, you pretty much pick one for any night of the year. Uh, and that's where you would go, it was the, the, the exact spot. Gold Coast, relatively young city. Um, I remember from the Suburban Spotlight series we did last year, though, where we focused on different postcodes each Thursday night and, and spoke about who lived where. And there was certainly some themes starting to develop. I know, um, you know, for, for instance, significant islander communities in the north, uh, northern hinterland, uh, New Zealand populations here and there, South Africans as well. Um, when we think of immigrants, we often think of European, Eastern European, uh, Middle Eastern immigrants as well. But it, this is a broad spectrum we're talking about. It's a broad church.
1: It is a broad church. And, you know, what we don't often talk about these days anymore, like the 10 poms who came out <laughs> um, to Australia in very large numbers if you look at the Australian Bureau of Statistics data most of our immigrants like you rightly said in in Queensland and on the Gold Coast come from New Zealand from South Africa um, from the United Kingdom um, and so they're traditionally white societies anyway there's not really a lot of mm. uh, integration that you have to do if you're coming across from New Zealand right um, but more recently we've got uh, an increasing number of immigrants on the Gold Coast and in Australia generally, certainly very very much in Australia from Asia, so from China and India. And that's beginning to change our cultural landscape here on the Gold Coast. Um, there was an article that was out on the ABC late last year, December last year, in the news talking about how um, there are 12,000 refugees from Syria that are being um, mm. resettled in southeast Queensland at the moment, mm. right? And so we're going to see some, I think, some quite, dynamic shifts in uh, who we traditionally think as being immigrants here on the Gold Coast, uh, increasingly large numbers of African people, people from Iraq, people from Syria, these kind of countries. And again, I think that's only going to be beneficial. We're going to see some I think, very vibrant and positive changes here.
0: Yeah, excellent. Uh, Jason Byrne with me, Matt Weber. I'll get to some traffic news in a few moments. Talking urban squeeze, let's bring it back to the planning uh, side of things here, Jason. What sort of actions do urban planners, town planners, people who plan our cities, um, what uh, sort of actions do they take in response to immigration trends and immigration policy?
1: How do you factor it in? And that's another really great question, Matt. So it's one of the paradoxes of, immigration policy is it occurs at the federal level right it's the federal government who sets immigration targets and yet it's at the at the grassroots in local governments in our towns in our cities where we experience the pressures of immigration and population Mm. growth generally um so the big questions are you know, we saw this after the Second World War where we had uh, three hundred thousand people come to Australia in a very short space of time, and that meant where do we put the new schools, um, where do we put new railroad road stations, hospitals, libraries, um, shopping centres, housing, uh, And that's part of the angst I think that people have around immigration in Australia is I think oh it's going to force up the price of housing, um, which I think is attributable to other causes. Uh, that Liberal government certainly doesn't want to discuss at the moment, but um, investment properties, these kind of things. Yeah, yeah. Um, So really planners are kind of stuck with this idea of, well, what are the targets? Let's look at the Australian Bureau of Statistics data. Let's look at the data we're getting about who's being let in and where they're coming from. And then where do we settle these communities? That's often outside the control of or the hands of planners. And then how do we respond to those pressures? The other thing is um, we can't just like take immigrants and compulsorily settle them, right? We don't make a decision and say, tomorrow we're going to put 20,000 people in Townsville. Mm. And even if we did, how how would we prevent people from moving to where the jobs are, to where the existing immigrant communities are, to where the opportunities are? Um, most of Australia's immig- immigrants land up in Sydney and Melbourne, and for good reason, um, that that's where most of the opportunities are. Also, increasingly, Brisbane and Perth. Uh, so planning definitely needs to respond to these kinds of pressures, But how? Um, Now, there's stuff that's really interesting, I think, and you would have seen this when you were growing up and I saw it too, is when you start to get Greek Orthodox churches being constructed in mm. communities, for example, and people marching around with placards and saying, you know, that doesn't look Australian. More recently, issues around mosques being constructed on the Gold when Well, Coast. you were talking
0: about uh, upward pressures on real estate. The concerns there was the, the development of a mosque. I speak specifically of Corumban in the industrial estate there. Uh, some of the local concern was, well, that might have a downward um, impact because of perceptions and whatever else. I don't want to get into the politics of that necessarily. But that was a reality. That was a concern that people were expressing.
1: And this is a really good question. It's one I play with my students often in class. So, you know, if we look at a mosque, what are the things that planning can deal with and what are the things that are not our our issues? Traffic, noise, uh, signage, roof colour, reflectivity. um, These kinds of issues that we have to deal with with any planning. Interestingly enough,
0: it was a planning decision that saw it ultimately struck down as a possibility anyway. So there you go. Um, which is fa- and it, we, we saw, I was reading just uh, recently, I think, of the, the possibility of a Sikh temple here on the Gold Coast And as that well. reflects that Indian, Indian increase in immigration, yeah. right?
1: So as a planner, you know, I would be saying to myself, where's a smart place to put a new temple, whether it be Buddhist or Sikh or whether it's a, um, a Catholic church or, or whether it's a, a mosque? And you'd be thinking about questions like, where's adequate access to public transport? Would they, for example, have access to existing bus lines or existing light rail system, these kinds of things? Uh, If it's not close to those things, how do we provide for enough parking? Will the construction of this place create drainage issues? Um, What noise do we have to worry about if... Church bells are ringing at four o'clock in the morning, for Calls example. Calls to prayer and the like, yes. Right. Um, so these are these are some of the real issues that planners grapple with. And in the case that you mentioned, I think it was probably around the fact that it was targeted at a light industrial area. Yeah. So, you know, where did the industries that go That backed then? onto
0: a residential area right. as well. So, yeah, you know, uh, there, there, were, there were discussions around other issues as well beyond the planning as well, to be fair. But uh, ultimately, it was the location that was an issue didn't right. work. Which creates a tension.
1: Which creates a tension. Mm. And we've seen these tensions play out in Australia with previous rounds of immigration, right? Remember the large waves of Vietnamese immigration Mm. after the Vietnam War and people beginning to get worried about signage on shop fronts. And is that appropriate or not? Interestingly enough, the Gold Coast had a local law after the Japanese, large waves of Japanese immigration in the 1980s saying that, Ah, eighty percent of the signage on shop fronts had to be English. Only twenty percent could be non-English. Seriously, seriously, right? That was a local law. Um, <laughs> things change, yes. Things do change. Yeah,
0: yeah. Thankfully, and for the better. For the better. According to the planner in the uh, in the office. And, bah, me too. I can jump on that bus. Uh, fascinating topic, Jason. But we've uh, we've galloped along, and we're out of time, mate. No worries, Matt. It has gone very quickly. It has gone fast. Welcome return. Welcome return. I hope uh, your health. Stays a constant positive for you.
1: Thank you. And next week we're joined by Tony Matthews (laughs) to talk about child friendly cities, which will be exciting too.
0: really? Yeah. Interesting topic. Interesting interesting topic. topic. Next uh, Thursday, same time, Urban Squeeze. Jason Byrne, always good to see you. Thank you, Matt. Thanks for coming back.